Wise Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Okay, welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins Guys Guys Radio. I'm here to bring you guests that have stories, journeys, insights that will inform you, inspire you, empower you, and hopefully get you to think and to feel and maybe even act. Guys Guys Radio. Hey, we've got a great show today. We've got two guests, two very different guests. First, we've got Jason Mendelshawn, and he is the brand ambassador and also considered the Superman of HPV in that he represents the Head Neck Cancer Association around the world, and he does a lot of great charitable work uh, creating awareness for HPV and the treacherous aspects of it that can sometimes lead to head and neck cancer in men, and many times HPV can lead to cervical cancer in women, And there's a lot we don't know about it. There's a lot we do know about it. But Jason's here to help clear up some of those areas where areas of confusion, like which which HPVs are more dangerous than others, et cetera. So we're very happy to have him here. And we're very uh, thrilled to be able to support the great work he's doing on his own time. We've also got a, a mystery author here. And I don't bring a lot of fiction authors on the show. But Robert McCaw has created a mystery series about a Hawaiian detective called Koa Kane. And we're going to talk about the journey of being an aspiring writer to writing a book to self-publishing, all the rejections that go before that, deciding to self-publish, and then getting a publishing deal with a with a traditional publisher and what that entails. And uh, the reason I have Robert on here is, is because mainly is because of that journey and to give hope and to inspire the aspiring authors out there not to give up and to stick with your work and keep at it and stay creative and keep working, 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 and don't give up on your dreams. So Guys Guys Radio, we've got two very special guests on the show. I can't wait to get started. But first, just a little bit about what's going on. Obviously, we're in October now. We've got the whole election frenzy and the COVID with the White House team, and there's so much happening uh, before. I don't even want to get into it all because I'm sure you're oversaturated and overwhelmed with all the information coming out. It's just a very, very intense time for America. I think America has political exhaustion no matter who you support. And everybody's hoping that we get through this upcoming presidential election safely and securely with a clear winner one way or the other, and then we can move on. I would suggest one thing to everybody out there, vote. No matter who you support, get out there and vote. 100 million eligible voters in 2016 did not vote. That's like 50% of the eligible voters. So most important, out of everything, just get out there and vote. Make your choice. Hopefully it'll be an informed choice and vote because that's our right. And we sit back and just allow the government to go wild. And it's like, wow, is this, are they really representing us out there? And I think many people will say, I don't think so, not in the way I expected and hoped for, because over time, as the the lobbyists and the corporations and the big donors get involved, it seems like the individual consumers' interests are less and less cared for. Well, that's my opinion. Maybe yours is different, but it seems like we need a little bit more representation out there. It's very stressful for everybody right now. I would ask everyone to not get triggered 
take a step back, take a deep breath. You don't have to respond to everything. You don't have to read the news all the time, all day. I know we're all addicted to our phones, but take a breath, step back and say, okay, I want to focus on my health, my family, my well-being, and my future, and I'm going to take part in the process of voting, but I'm not going to make myself insane over it, or I'm not going to be sucked in by some of the insanity that you see over the uh, airways and in the mainstream media and beyond. So that's just my own little insight. So I can't wait to get started with our guests, so let's bring them on right now on Guys Guys Radio. It's Guys Guy Radio. As you know, we've had writers and spiritual teachers and comedians and authors and all kinds of folks on Guys Guys Radio with the purpose of informing our listeners and inspiring them and empowering them. And hopefully they think they'll feel and maybe even act based on the information that we put out there. So I want to tackle a a topic that uh, I think is very um, important for men in particular, and it's called uh, HPV. And I have a uh, a very special guy. His name is Jason Mendelssohn, and he is an HNCA ambassador, which is the really the organization for uh, HPV awareness. And he is a stage four HPV-related tonsil cancer survivor. And I invited him on the show because I think it's important that uh, dudes understand what HPV is, what it's all about, and uh, you know what's the worst that can happen, and also what's the best that can happen because. I don't think too many people understand the different levels of different numbers for HPV and what it can turn into. You might have seen some things on the news with Michael Douglas and a few other folks, but Jason's here and he's going to fill us in on what we need to know and his story. So welcome to Guys Guys Radio, Jason Mendelshawn. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So let's talk a little bit about um, what, let's start with your story. You're a, a businessman. Um, you have your own business. You live in Florida, and uh, you were very successful, and you are very successful. What happened? What was your kind of HB, HPV wake-up? Let's, let's just go through the whole thing, like your story, your, what was going on in your life, what were the symptoms, what was the diagnosis, and what was the treatment, and kind of how we got from there to here. Okay. Yeah, let me start off by saying just thank you again for having me on the show. I have to tell you um, who would have ever thought after being diagnosed with HPV-related tonsil cancer that I would have gone public and now have my cancer story shared in in over 100 countries. Um, I had never heard of HPV at a high level when I got diagnosed, so if it's okay, I'll define that quickly and then move into my story. So I learned that HPV is the most common sexually transmitted disease on the planet, and and that was shocking to me. Um, I learned that three out of four adults by 30 have HPV. 62% of freshmen in college, and that men between 40 and 60 are the most highly diagnosed with the cancer I'm about to describe to you. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I learned all that since being diagnosed. Back in 2014, I was um, taking a financial exam for my industry. We appraise life insurance, and I put my hand on my face and my neck to ponder a question and felt a bump. I had no symptoms. I felt that bump. I passed the test. I went home to my dad, my dad, who's a doctor, and said, what's this? He said, let's call the ENT. Called the ENT. I said, you know, I have this bump on my neck. Came out of nowhere. He says, you don't smoke. You don't drink heavily. Come see me in a few weeks. This was a Thursday. I was there on a Monday because I'm a guy that goes to a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, they put me on 
10 days of antibiotics and steroids. They said, in the slight chance this doesn't go away, let's immediately schedule you for a needle biopsy and CAT scan. Quite honestly, I thought nothing of it because I felt the healthiest I'd felt in years. Two days after that, I left for the Keys on vacation with my wife and friends, ran the equivalent of a 5K, flew to D.C. that Sunday, lobbied on Capitol Hill for my industry, flew home on a Wednesday. Thursday had a CAT scan. Friday had a needle biopsy. Monday found out I had stage four HPV tonsil cancer. Okay. And let me explain to you. At the time, my kids were young. So my boy-girl twins were 12. My son was six. I'd been married, you know, 18 years. I was present in my family business because you asked what my life was like at the time. I was working 50 to 70 hours a week, traveling two to three times a month all over the country. Life was hectic. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, I find out I have cancer and life stopped because cancer was something that happened to other people, not to me. I knew people right. that had lung cancer, pancreatic cancer, breast cancer. I had truly never heard of tonsil cancer. So you had and your tonsils. You still have your tonsils. I did. So it's really the lingual okay. tonsils. So even people that have their tonsils removed, it's like base of the tongue. Okay. And, and so people that get diagnosed with, with this typically have either base of the tongue, throat, lingual tonsils. It's just normally, it's, it's just, you know, comes out of nowhere. And so they believe that through oral sex when I was in college, probably around the age of 19, through oral sex with a woman, I was expo exposed to strains 16 and 18, and that out of 100 people that get diagnosed with this cancer, understand, I mean, excuse me, out of 100 people that get diagnosed with HPV, 98% of the people, their body fights off the virus. They never knew they had it. It's 2% that decades later can be diagnosed with this type of cancer. So those, that virus lays in the crypts of the throat, and that's why I said earlier, men between 40 and 60 are the most highly diagnosed with HPV-related, it's called oropharyngeal cancer, which, mm -hmm. by the way, I had to spend days figuring out how to say that properly, but that includes tongue, throat, and tonsil. So uh -huh. oral sex at around 19, at age 44, so this virus laid you know, in the back of my throat for decades with no symptoms, and I deal with probably two to four cancer patients a week all over the world, and many of which have my exact same scenario. So women do get diagnosed with this also, but it's you know more heavily focused on men. A couple of questions for you before sure. we get into, I wanna get into how you got treated. So sure. we have if, if some of the numbers you threw out there, so I think the listeners are interested in, it's like three out of four adults have some form of HPV, right? Age of 30, correct. Okay, by age of 30. So, and then, um, you mentioned a couple of strands, like I, 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 had, I had alluded to like some different numbers and stuff, numbers 16 and 18. What, what is that where there's all these different strands of HPV and what some of them aren't, uh, I guess, as dangerous as others? How does that all work? Could you educate us on that, please, Jason? I can a little bit. So I should have said from the beginning. So I am a stage four HPV tonsil cancer survivor. I am not a doctor. So I always tell people, speak to your your kid's pediatrician sure, about the but... vaccine. about But what I can tell you is there are some strains that don't cause cancer. Some cause warts. Some cause just there are no symptoms. They don't lead to cancer. So you probably know this, but there's HPV-related penile cancer. 
There's, it's the main reason for cervical cancer for women, HPV. So right. a different strain. There's, there's anal cancer. There's all different types of, of strains of this virus that cause all different types of situations, whether it's warts or if it's rashes or just different symptoms. Does that help? Yeah. It's a virus. Um, so so let, let me, let me ask you, can, can somebody, um, and I know you're not a doctor, but you, I'm sure you've been around all this, so you've heard everything. If somebody um, thinks like, okay, let's say you three out of four, you're one of those 75%. Is there anything that individuals can do to help eradicate through any type of, uh, whether it's this vaccine, which I want to get into, or anything else that they can eradicate and eliminate this uh, virus from their system? So I believe the answer is no. And so women who go to the gynecologist and have a pap smear, they can you know, determine they have HPV and they can have cryo to eliminate the virus or the cells. For men, like for instance, tongue throat tonsil cancer, there's no test to know that you have oropharyngeal cancer unless you have biopsies of the tongue throat or tonsil. Okay. And so there's people that have HPV, for instance, warts that have them for their lifetime. In their they come throat? and go, it's so a virus. They, with, in their throats? Why well, just be? meant penile, like in the, in the or prime area? Or whatever, okay. Correct. So there's okay. people that, I think it's a virus, so it can come and go. So, so when you say eliminated, I don't think it fully ever is eliminated. Okay. So is, let's say, okay, and just forgive me because I'm just spitballing here, but okay. let's say you're 19 like you were and then you had oral sex with somebody and then, then there's that, uh, that area of like about 30 years later where you could get something. Is there a cutoff point where you're kind of in the clear age-wise, like maybe you hit 70 or something and then, okay, you know, I'm not going to be affected by a one-night stand from when I was 19 in college? So I think it would give people peace of mind if I could say that. Unfortunately, and I will tell you, I don't know if you're going to find this humorous or not. I told my wife, I'm either going to go down in history as preventing hundreds of thousands of boys and girls from HPV-related cancer or as the guy that destroyed oral sex for the planet. I really hope it's the first one. But <laughs> my, um, my father's best friend at 73 was diagnosed with HPV-related throat cancer, and he had been married 50 years. Okay. And so the answer is no. There's okay. no time that you're out of the clear. You just have to, you know, hope and knock on wood that you're not affected at that level. Okay. Guys, guys, radio. Your host Robert Manning here with a special guest, Jason Mendelshawn, and we're talking about HPV awareness. And uh, Jason is really like the called the Superman because he is an ambassador for HPV. He travels around the world and he represents and helps people everywhere. And it's a great cause. And I'm so glad he's here. And kind of teaching us as to, you know, the kind of the, the dangers and, uh, and some of the uh, positive aspects of uh, what we can do and what's there technologically wise and medical wise to help people. Now you were stage four, but you're here with us. What happened? What was your, what was your treatment? Sure. Let me say a few things. So one, I got diagnosed and, and then I had seven weeks. First I had a radical tonsillectomy. So it's like a tonsillectomy, tonsillectomy, but you know, a broader area. I had a radical tonsillectomy, neck dissection. So I don't know that you can see it, but I had 42 lymph nodes removed in my neck. I have a scar okay. that runs from the bottom of my right ear to the center of my throat. And then I had seven weeks of chemo, radiation, and a feeding tube. So a feeding tube through my stomach is the number one mm -hmm. reason people sure. get dehydrated and end up in the hospital is that they can't swallow. Truly, I ended up with third degree burns in my throat. So for almost a month, 
I had seven insurers a day, two Gatorades a day through a feeding tube in my stomach. All my medicine I was crushing up and taking through a feeding tube in my stomach. And it was quite honestly brutal. I, at the beginning, as I started treatment, and it was stage four, that's what I knew. Um, I made videos to my kids saying goodbye. And, and mm -hmm. if sure. I can touch on that for just one minute, my videos went something like this. One day you're going to get married. I'm not going to be there. This is what's important because I'm a guy that speaks to my father every day, multiple times. And I made those videos over and over and over again because I thought if this is the last thing my kids ever hear, I want it to be perfect. What transpired, and, and maybe I can get into the side effects from treatment, but just to tell you up front is that at the end of 2017, beginning of 2018, they downgraded the staging of this cancer. Because most people being diagnosed in 2014, 15, 16 were either stage three or four because like me, it started in my tonsils and then ended up in my lymph nodes. It had transferred. And if you followed traditional paths, it was stage three or four. Because people are living, now granted many have side effects from radiation primarily, um, sure. they, so I would have been stage one had I been diagnosed in 2018. Okay. So um – did you have things like difficulty swallowing before you were diagnosed? So before I was diagnosed, no, I literally had no symptoms. My father's best friend said that he felt like he had a fishbone in his throat. Other people would say maybe they had a sore in their mouth that wasn't healing. They had pain in their throat. I mean, so there are people that have challenges and eventually for most people, after months of going to various doctors, they ended up at an ear, nose, and throat doctor who diagnoses the problem. But I personally did not. I had I shaved every day, every other day, and I literally never saw a bump until one day I felt that bump on my neck. Okay. And I had two lymph nodes full of cancer. So right. let's talk. Let's talk about the. You mentioned the vaccine, and you know, vaccines is such a polarizing uh, topic with people because it's vaccines for so many different things. And I guess the question is, tell us about the vaccine for HPV. When people are supposed to, when are they, uh, what are they teaching people about when to take it? Uh, should okay. you take it as a kid? Should you take it as an adult? Are there any issues with it? Um, what's your, what's your vibe on the vaccine for this? Okay. And I get asked by a lot of people. So I'll tell you what I, what I've learned. Um, and I've never spoken with one doctor worldwide who said, Every doctor I've spoken with has said they would give the vaccine to both their son and their daughter because m many people think it's just for their daughter because HPV is the main reason for cervical cancer. But everyone will give it to both their son and their daughter. Um, they can get it as early as age nine. Most parents give the vaccine to their kids between the ages of 11 and 13. The FDA and the ACIP just said that, that, that one can have the vaccine up to age 45. It used to be 25. Reality is this. Once you've been exposed to strains 16 and 18, that vaccine really doesn't help you or eliminate those um, HPV from becoming cancerous. Yeah. So the reason they recommend it for boys and girls before really the ages of being sexually active is because they want to protect someone from the beginning. Mm -hmm. and, and so most kids get it between 11 and 13, boys and girls. When people ask me, and they do ask me all the time, why should I give that to my kids? Or doctors have a hard time discussing it with their parents, pediatricians right. do, because everyone focuses, and, and this was from years ago when it was initially launched in 2007, 
people focus on the wrong thing. And, and what, what I mean by that is they focus on HPV as a sexually transmitted disease, and parents can't see their kids having sex, meaning they can't vision that down the right. road. And this right. is what we always talk about now. If someone came out and said, a vaccine came out and they said, listen, give this vaccine to your daughter. She's never going to have breast cancer. Everybody will give it to their daughter. Give this vaccine to your son. He's never going to have prostate cancer or lung cancer. Everybody would give it. But because the focus is put on the sex component, not on cancer prevention, and that's where the shift is taking place, focusing on this can prevent your kids from getting cancer. So increase, so HPV vaccination rates are increasing. And the World Health Organization charged countries to eliminate HPV-related cancers, specifically cervical cancer for women. And the U.S., Canada, and Australia stood up and said, we'll be the first one to do that by increasing HPV vaccination rates. Okay. Now, you mentioned kind of a cutoff age. What is the cutoff age where it kind of doesn't work anymore? Or is there one? You, I, you said something like in the 40s or whatever. You have to well, take it so, before then? Right. It's been approved up to age 45. Mm -hmm. Reality is most people want to give it to their kids before they're sexually active. Right, because you're going to prevent that, protect them before they get exposed to the virus. Are there any tests that people can take? Because you mentioned the, you know, the strains 16 and 18. First of all, how many strains are there? And can people just get tested randomly whenever they want? Like, okay, can I get an HPV test? And maybe they have number 17 or something. I don't know how many how many strains are there, and how many are uh, really dangerous. You know, I believe there's over a hundred. I will tell you that it's. I think it's around nine. I think it's around nine that cause cancer. I'm always focused on 16 and 18 because of oral or pharyngeal right. cancer. Mm -hmm. um, the problem with an HPV related test, as I said initially, is that three out of four adults by 30 have HPV, but it doesn't mean that it's going to become cancer. And if your body fights off the virus and, and you never knew you had it, so it's mm -hmm. complicated, right? Okay. So most people like a woman, again, back to the gynecologist can have a pap smear and know she has cancer cells or precancer cells, there's really no test for men. Okay. What is the organization you're working with and how do they work, Jason? Sure. So I'm on the executive board of the Head Neck Cancer Alliance. Their website's headandneck.org, and it's comprised of physicians, whether it's head and neck surgeons, um, ENTs, all different types of doctors, radiation oncologists, oncologists, um, um, dentists, and they really are focused, and we're really focused on the early detection and prevention of head and neck cancer, not just HPV-related cancers. That's just my area of, of focus because of my experience right. you know, being sure. diagnosed. But what we have is everything from programs to speak with patients, survivors, caregivers, ambassador programs like I'm a part of, where people share their story to make to let others know they're not alone to a gas card program that helps people that need assistance with transportation to treatment. So all different services that help patients, survivors, and caregivers cope with head and neck cancer. What are some tips that for just people living their lives can do to avoid exposure to this as much as possible? It seems like if you're going to have oral sex, you're going to be exposed to the possibility of this. but. People aren't necessarily going to cut out oral sex from their from their lives. So I guess there's condoms and stuff like that and the vaccine. But anything else they can do lifestyle-wise to protect themselves as much as possible? You know, I think the main answer is really to have less sexual partners. 
as far as I'm concerned, right? Because mm-hmm. just like you said, right? People aren't going to stop having oral sex. Certainly be careful, right? Everyone knows risky behavior versus not risky behavior right. and less partners. And mm-hmm. so I think those are really the main, the main things that people can do to protect themselves as well as if they have, you know, you know, sons and daughters or grandkids to encourage the parents to learn more about the HPV vaccine by speaking with their kids' pediatricians. Yeah. I mean, to me, those are really the main area of focus. And if you get di- if you feel that you have an issue with your throat, because I can't tell you how many men I've spoken with that hear my story or their wives hear my story and that six months later, they find a bump on their neck or they have a sore that's not healing, or when they go to the dentist and they offer to get the, you know, they do oral cancer screenings when you're having your, your um, cleanings, they're more aware that this cancer or this type of cancer exists because, quite honestly, I had never heard of it. And I was raised, my dad's a doctor, I had never heard of it, and I can't tell you how many people tell me they had never heard of it before hearing my story. Great. Well, you're doing great work. Jason Mendelshawn. Uh, Jason, please tell us um, where people can find out more about HPV awareness and the great work you're doing. Thank you. Just a few quick things. So I have a website, supermanhpv.com, and I don't think of myself as a superhero. I'm not an egomaniac, but my friends called me Superman during chemo and radiation, so that's where the name comes from. So supermanhpv.com. Certainly they can go to headandneck.org. I know this will be unheard of, but people oftentimes text me. My cell phone is 407-782-5614, and I can't tell you how many people reach out, and everyone's been respectful. And then I'm on social media, Facebook, Superman HPV, Instagram, Twitter. And so if I can ever answer questions for people as they arise, um, I'm more than happy for people to reach out to me about HPV-related cancer, the vaccine, or just HPV in general. Man, you excellent work, Jason. I'm really thank you for educating me and our audience about you know this uh, HPV. Everybody's heard of it, but not too many people know about it. And uh, I think we learned a lot. And you're doing great work. And you know what? You are a superhero, and you're a guy's guy. And thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate your time. It's Guys Guy Radio. I have an interesting special guest today. His name is Robert McCaw, and he's the the Koa Kanye Hawaiian Mystery Series. The latest book is called Fire and Vengeance. And the reason I invited him on the show is not only is he a prolific uh, public fiction writer, he also is willing to uh, talk to us about his journey that many of us have been on as a writer, trying to navigate the, the rocky road of the publishing industry, self-publishing, et cetera, and how to really build a career there. So let me tell you a little bit about Robert, and then we'll welcome him to the show. Robert McCaw, he's author of Fire and Vengeance that I mentioned, Off the Grid and Death of a Messenger. He grew up in a military family, traveled the world, graduated Georgetown, U.S. Army Lieutenant, law degree from U of Virginia, partner in a major international law firm in D.C. and New York, and represented Wall Street clients in a complex and civil and criminal cases. He's lived on the big island of Hawaii, so he's got a lot of the flair and the taste of the islands in his writing and in his stories. 
He now lives in New York City with his wife. So welcome to Guys Guys Radio, Robert McCaw. Hi, how are you? I'm very good. I hope I pronounced the name of your main character correctly. It's Koa Kane or Koa Koa Kane. Okay. So let's let's start at the beginning. You have a background in the military as well as as law, and then you became a writer. So how did that all transpire? And was it something you were always interested in doing? And uh, or was it something that you had an idea and said, I got to I got to put this down. And then it just took off from there. Well, it was always an idea that was in the back of my mind. And then I made a trip to Hawaii. And I literally fell in love with the geography, the history, the culture, and the people. Uh, and um, I uh, began to think at that point about uh, trying to capture some of that in a book. Um, and both my law practice and my basic uh, inclinations were toward mysteries. Uh, and so I tried to develop a mystery uh, that incorporated as much of Hawaiian history and culture as possible. Uh, and that the first book sort of started at the top of Mauna Kea, which is the tallest uh, volcano in uh, Hawaii, where I came across an interesting comparison or contradiction. Um, the ancient Hawaiians uh, walked up the mountain and mined a very tough form of lava uh, at about 11,000 feet. Uh, they disappeared sometime around 1600 and nobody knows what happened to them. Uh, and now up at the top of that mountain, we have telescopes. And I thought the contrast between the ancient, uh, basically industrial site of making stone tools and the, the telescopes was really an interesting um, uh, uh, setting for a mystery story. And that's literally how I started the story. You talk about the journey. Um, I started Death of a Messenger more than 20 years ago. I was engaged in a full-time and very active practice of law. And so my writing consisted of vacations and weekends and sometimes at night, sometimes when I was on an airplane. And sort of chapter by chapter, scene by scene, I put the book together. And it wasn't until after I retired that I finally, from the law practice, that I finally got um, the time uh, to polish the book and, and finish it. Now, why, why, why again were you in Hawaii? Um, well, I went out there for a legal conference um, okay. and then vaca vacationed a little and then just fell in love with the place. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's get into... Uh your books. So how did you come up with the idea of your main character? And uh, he has a little bit of a flaw. Maybe you could talk about that. And also, what is it that he wants and why can't he get it? Ah, uh, well, first place I chose, I did a, something that's very difficult. I chose a character who was Hawaiian. And I did that deliberately knowing that there were lots of, lots of obstacles uh, because I wanted his voice to talk about Hawaii. And I wanted him actually to use some Hawaiian language so that people get a sense of, of the lyrical quality of, of the language. Um, uh, I wanted him to be um, some sort of detective. I thought about a, a private investigator. I thought about uh, uh, a police officer. I ultimately made him the chief of detectives in uh, Hilo, Hawaii. Um, but he does have this character flaw because um, he grew up in a poor family. Um, his father was um, a sugar worker uh, in terrible conditions in the in the uh, sugar fields and in the sugar uh, factories, which uh, deteriorated. 
uh, and um, his father was a bit of a labor leader, got into a conflict with the manager uh, and uh, was killed in an industrial accident. Uh, Koa found out that that accident might not have been an accident. And you know, at a young age, he was a teenager, he uh, tracked down the, uh, the uh, uh, plant manager and, and sugar baron to a remote cabin. They got into a fight, the fight got out of hand, and the sugar baron died. So here's a cop who is actually, in some sense, a killer. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and uh, that drives him. Uh, to find uh, justice for four people. He is also extraordinarily suspicious of others because of this experience. That's a good that's a good hook. So uh, in terms of the uh, kind of the journey you went on, so it took you a while to write the book. A couple of questions about that. Did you know how to write? Did you have to do anything to learn how to write? And then how did you learn about the publishing industry uh, you know, the, there's, a, there's a whole language and nomenclature. How do you talk to agents? How do you do a query? How, you know, the, the importance of the queries is it's almost as important as the book. The fact with fiction that you have to write the whole manuscript, whereas nonfiction, you can do a couple of chapters. What was it like? And uh, just tell us about your experience and maybe some insights that uh, other aspiring writers can learn from. Um, well, I tried to go the, uh, with death of a messenger i tried to go the uh, the traditional publisher route i queried lots of uh, of uh, agents um uh i found uh, uh, lots of rejections uh, and in some senses worse than rejections uh, agents who simply never respond uh and after uh, beating my head against the wall uh, there for a while i said to myself if this is going to get done i'm going to have to self-publish it uh, and I, I did something which, in retrospect, turned out to be the right approach. Uh, I went for a high-end um, self-publishing where I got uh, real proofreading and real editing and real layout design and real cover and jacket design. I got the things that go with that, including distribution. And I got some marketing help. Uh, and um, uh, I learned an enormous amount in publishing that first book in that manner. Um, but I also came out of that with a very professional product. I mean, it's, uh, there, there are no typos. Uh, it's well presented. Uh, and I hawked the book. I mean, even if you've got a traditional publisher these days, you've got to get out there and sell the book on social sure. media and book clubs. Uh, I mean, to your friends, to your relatives, to their relatives, to everybody you can think of. And in that process, I wound up talking to um, uh, Mel Parker, uh, who is a, an agent, uh, Mel Parker Books. Um, he agreed to read Death of a Messenger. Uh, at that point, I had a second manuscript. He agreed to read that. He became my agent. And then from then on, um, he helped me find a traditional publisher, Ocean View. And they've now published uh, uh, Off the Grid and Fire and Vengeance. They're going to do a reissuance of Death of a Messenger in January, and they've contracted to do a fourth book in the series in 2022. So um, it was that initial real quality and the sales effort and luck, because I think luck does play a role in life, sure. that, that connected me up with, uh, with Mel and got me into a tr traditional publishing world. 
Now, you're also in a, a genre that has certain rules. And um, how did you learn uh, and did you, in fact, learn about, OK, for this genre, I have to do that? Or did you just say, I'm going to write this story and then, you know, we'll edit it and take it from there? I mean, how 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 close to the process were you in terms of matching it up with the expectations of a first time author by the industry? Um. I didn't go and look at what a mystery story should look like, uh, but I had read a lot of mystery stories. Um, and as a lawyer, um, I did a lot of investigatory work. Um, uh, in litigation, you've got to know what the facts were. If you're doing a, an investigation for a company, you really got to roll up your sleeves and get down and talk to people, read documents. So I knew a lot about how um, uh, um, uh, detectives work. I worked a lot with, on the mostly on the other side, with prosecutors uh, and FBI agents. So I brought that to bear. I brought my military experience to bear. And I brought my legal writing uh, experience to bear. And that's a very interesting sort of story because lawyers are pretty much confined to the provable facts. Right. And it took me a little while to get from this, well, it's got to be accurate to it's got to be a good story. Exactly. Uh, but that's, <laughs> that's a good insight. <laughs> uh, and uh, that was that was actually one of the hardest parts of the transition. I kept wanting to say, well, is this accurate? And then I realized as long as it's credible, as long as it's believable, um, uh, then uh, that's what you really need to be a fiction writer. What was your most challenging uh, part of this? Were you, was there a time where you thought about, you know what, before you made the decision to self-publish to say, these guys, they, this, this industry is just not buying it. They don't get it. Or were you sure that I've got something really good here and it's getting out there one way or another right from the very beginning? Because going through the process can be daunting to a lot of people and they, they don't know what they're in for. You, know, you have to have a thick skin to uh, put your work out there and get rejection. But that, that's just part of the program. Every good, great salesperson gets rejected. Every great actor gets rejected for certain roles. Every musical group gets rejected from a record company. So how did you deal with all of that? Is that part of your own perseverance or what? Well, I had some experience getting rejected. I did fundraising for my university. Um, uh, and I, I pitched uh, I a, lot of, a lot of clients for legal work. And I, you know, I, I came to a realization that um, you, if you have a 5% success rate in pitching, you're doing really well. That's true. Uh, uh, and so you got to, you got you just got to get out there and you got to keep trying. I thought the book was um, uh, a really interesting story. I thought it was well written. Uh, I gave it to friends to read. They thought it was really well written. Um, and I said to myself, you know, uh, I just, I want to get it out there. Um, and um, uh, I persevered through that process. What, what do you see the benefits uh, besides, you know, the, the, the agents having the Rolodex and putting your work out there? Did you get any uh, help editorial wise from them in terms of uh, the storytelling or some hints like, hey, you might try this or that? Or was it here's the product and I'll pitch it for you? Uh, no, uh, I'm a first place. I'm a great believer in editing. Um, uh, you get too close to the work, or at least I think you get too close to the work and you need somebody to bring you a second perspective to you. Uh, but there are huge benefits to having a traditional publisher. Uh, they do proofread. I mean, if you've had a good one, they help format the book. 
they handle the distribution. They handle some marketing, although they still expect you to do uh, most of most of that work. Uh, they do the cover design. They do the jacket design. They introduce you to other authors who can write little blurbs for you that you put on the front of the book. I mean, there are lots and lots of advantages. And in the do-it-yourself uh, self-publishing, I either had to do all those things myself or pay somebody to do them and do them well. So there's a big advantage. Um, and there's also a disadvantage. Your agent takes a cut. Your publisher takes a cut. And if you can really be successful doing it yourself, you'll make more money per book. Mm -hmm. oh, well stated. So well, if you got the first book off the ground and then you got a deal for it, how and then you hit started on the second book, I guess. Um, um, actually, how, how did you? Go, I was go ahead. Say that's not quite correct because I the the publishing part came with the second book, um, uh, and uh, I had that manuscript when I met my okay, agent. Right. Okay. So you had written the first book, you self-published it. You had written the second book. You got that picked up, and then you got the third book. But then they picked up the first book again for a re relaunch, I guess. Correct. Did you see a trajectory for your main character? Uh, at the time of uh, writing the first book, the second book, or the third book? Are you constantly learning new things about Koa? Um, I've, tried, I've tried to uh, advance his character in each book. Um, uh, the, the second book uh, goes deeply into his uh, personal criminal um, problem and uh, uh, tells that backstory as part of the, as part of the book. A Fire and Vengeance, on the other hand, focuses very much on his relationship with his brother. Uh, and his brother is a, basically a career criminal um, who uh, collapses in jail. Uh, and Koa discovers that um, it's perhaps the case that some of his criminal behavior is the result of a serious brain uh, tumor. Uh, and that creates a lot of drama in uh, A Fire and Vengeance. Uh, and I've had people tell me they really like that story. Okay. Uh, Guys Guys Radio, our special guest is Robert McCaw. He's the author of the Koa Kane Hawaiian mystery series. The latest book is called Fire and Vengeance. What would be your advice, Robert, to uh, aspiring writers out there? What would be the top three things they need to know? Uh, number one, write what you know. Number two, don't write for the market. Uh, and I've had lots of agents tell me that. Because by the time you get your book published, which is likely to be at least a year, maybe two years after you've written it, the trend has changed. So don't try to don't try to you're going to always be behind the trend if you do that. So write what you know and be persistent. I mean, this it takes a lot of hard work, and a lot of persistence, and you're going to face a lot of rejection. Um, but just keep keep going. Now, the uh, marketing aspect of it, I get a lot of uh, creatives, they don't realize that, you know, the way the industries, whatever it is, whether it's music, uh, where you have to get out on the road, or if you're uh, an actor or whatever, you have to promote yourself. It's like, become famous, and then then you'll get some money behind you. How did uh, you, do you think it's a, it's a real issue with a lot of creatives that don't realize the importance of the marketing aspect uh, of their work? Uh, yes, I think I think it is. And I think um, a lot of creatives don't want to do that. And in order to be successful here, you have to do that. You either have to do it or you have to pay somebody to do it for you. Uh, but, you know, you spend a lot of time on uh, Facebook, which I'm not particularly fond of, uh, and other social media. You do interviews like this. 
um, you uh, which, like. which you're which you're fond of. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I, you Just know, joking. Uh, I actually like uh, uh, the interviews because it gives me a chance to really talk about what drives the book. And I think that's one of the things that's interesting to readers. Okay. So uh, uh, thank you for the opportunity. Oh, my pleasure. Um, last question for you. So what's next for Koa? Where are you going to take him? Will he visit New York City at any point? And uh, are, you, are you going to factor in the COVID-19 into your stories? Uh, so far, I have not factored COVID-19 in, although I do tell you, I think there's nothing good about COVID-19, right. although it it does force me to spend more time writing because I'm mostly isolated and it's uh, it's uh, a relief to uh, to uh, disappear into a novel. Uh, but uh, I haven't put Koa in the book. Uh, the new the newest book takes Koa into a, a whole new direction in terms of um, his uh, uh, relationship with the past. Um, and uh, I think uh, I think readers will enjoy it when it comes out. Great. Robert McCall, where can everybody find out more about you and uh, your books? www.robertbmccall.com is the best place. There are lots of reviews there. There's some blog posts I've done, uh, and uh, that's a good place to start. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being on Guys Guys Radio and sharing with you your kind of uh, journey through the publishing world. And, and congratulations on your success and uh, your wonderful character, Koa Kanye, and uh, this, the book series. Keep going. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. It's Guys Guy Radio. Okay, two very different guests today on Guys Guys Radio. On this show, we had Jason Mendelshawn, the Superman of HPV awareness and the brand ambassador for the Head Neck Cancer Association. He's doing great work, just letting everybody know that HPV, it's, it's not a death sentence, but it can lead to cancer, and it's something we should be aware of, and that there's so many different types of HPV, and that you can get it from... Maybe you had oral sex with somebody 20 years ago and you can still get it. So, you know, what do you do? Well, I think you, if you're a guy, you need to become aware of any growths you have around your neck area. You have to uh, get your checkups, make sure if you do have anything that you feels out of order around your head and neck area that you should consult your physician and have a discussion about it with them. Be careful in choosing your sexual partners, of course, because HPV, although 75% of uh, adults over 30 have some form of it in the U.S., it's, you know, that still means 25% of people don't. So you need to be careful and, uh, and not put yourself in a position where you could uh, get a life-threatening disease. Not that every instance of HPV is life-threatening, but it could turn into that depending on what, what number of HPV you get and how it kind of integrates and works within your own personal system. A lot of women uh, end up, if they have HPV, uh, they usually uh, tend, to, from what Jason was saying, from what I've read, more, t uh, more apt to get some type of cervical cancer, so the ladies need to keep track of this. And just be aware of HPV and what it really means, human papillomavirus. So that was Jason Mendelshawn. I, I like to bring guests on like Jason because I think it's important that we all keep an awareness of how best to take care of ourselves and then how best to deal with things once they 
once they surface, and in this case, HPV can be something that's insidious and kind of lay low for a while and then come out and bite you 20 years later. So we also hosted Robert McCaw, and the reason I uh, invited Robert on the show, I, I don't do a lot of uh, fiction authors or, and uh, thriller or mystery authors that much because there's so many of them, they're great, and it's hard for me to decide which one, and I can't read all the books, but Robert promised to talk about his journey from being a self-published author to getting a traditional deal, and I think that's a good one. Anybody who's an aspiring writer ultimately wants to get a traditional deal because if nothing else, it's validation. But also, I think when you get a traditional deal, you understand more about how the business, and publishing is a business, how the business works and what the tools are at your disposal and the resources that you have that you may not have uh, when you self-publish. Now, on the other hand, when you self-publish, you have to do pretty much everything Although there are companies that will work with you and you can pay them to do the book cover and pay them to do the distribution and even sales, and you can own your rights, but um, when you deal with a traditional company, you know, they, they, they have a system set up, and, and it's also you get that psychic reward of saying, like, I got an agent, I got a book deal, and I'm off to the races, and it, it feels real good. So something to consider, and I wanted to bring information out here because from Robert about the publishing business and his own journey, as well as his series, the Kona Kane Hawaiian Detective Series, because I thought that sounded pretty interesting also. But what we do here on Guys Guys Radio, what we want to do is inform you, inspire you, empower you, get you to think, feel, and act, and hopefully, hopefully take some action uh, to better your life. And so we bring you information, journeys, stories from our guests that uh, I hope will help you out. So Guys Guys Radio, we're here every Wednesday evening on KCAA in Southern California at 8 p.m. Pacific Time, 102.3, 106.5 FM, 10.50 a.m. The show rebroadcasts here on KCAA on Sundays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time. But you can listen live, you can stream the show, or you can download. Uh, Guys Guys Radio is growing, and so now we are expanding our platforms. We're on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Google Play, Mixcloud, Listen Notes, Radio Public, Podbeam, Castbox, Podtail, Pod Paradise, TuneIn Radio, Hub Hopper, Player.fm, Apple Podcasts, of course, Spreaker, Podchaser, and there's more on the way. You can also catch our shows on my YouTube channel, Guys, Guys TV. Just go to YouTube, put in there Robert Manny, and it'll come right to our YouTube channel. We download every show there, and we're moving towards video for the uh, for the YouTube. So thank you so much for your support here on Guys, Guys Radio. You can also check me out on social media. Uh, I'm all over Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and my uh, my website is Robert Manny M A N N I dot com. I've got over 300 blog posts about everything about life, love, and the pursuit of happiness. There's a lot of relationship uh, posts on there. And I, I go into detail. Most of my posts are over a thousand words, so I'm not messing around and just throwing stuff out there. I am, I'm mindful and I've thought through a lot of these posts because when I started doing this, uh, people were reading blogs a lot, and now everything uh, it went to uh, it's podcast, but also everything's going video. You go on Instagram and Facebook, and everybody follows the stories, and it's just quick. The attention span of consumers seems to be getting shorter 
and shorter and shorter. And I understand everybody wants to uh, consume as much information as they can in as little and a shorter period of time. But, you know, sometimes it's good to read an article, read a book, watch a movie, listen to a whole album of music, if you can, if you can have the time to do that, because we get everything in these short little bits, and everybody is so addictive to their devices, and particularly their phone. It's like scroll, 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 scroll all the time. And I, I, I don't know. This is new for our culture. So what are the long-term effects of that on our brain and our consciousness? I, I guess we're going to find out. But I think we have to take some steps individually to make sure that we don't get lost on our phones and realize that there's a real world out there and we have real meetings with real people. And now with the, with the COVID and everybody kind of working remotely, et cetera, it's even made us more reliant on our technology and more reliant on our phones. And again, there's good things about it. And there's other things that are, uh, we lose touch sometimes with other people and that human connection and just, you know, giving somebody a hug or whatever. We can't really get into that too much these days. So on my website, robertmanny.com, there's all of those blog posts, but also you can download three free chapters from my novel, which is the source material of everything Guy's Guide. It's called The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love, and it is a novel. So it's a story, but it's about relationships. It takes place in Manhattan. It's about two guys in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money. It's really... Uh, it's really about guys and what they're really all about. And it's been considered the male sex in the city as per Dan Wakefield, one of the most iconic authors of the 20th century. So I'm very pleased with the book. People seem to have a lot of fun with it. It's a rom-com, but it's got some meaning. It's like 350 pages long. So it's not just one of these books that you, you, know, you read it in a day and you toss it away. This is the type of book where you put it on your bedstand, you read a couple of chapters, and then you put it aside, and then you pick it up again, and you continue the story, and things seem to grow and grow and grow, and then there's a very fast rush towards the ending. So I'm very proud of the book, and hopefully you'll check it out. You can get it on Amazon or wherever else you get, wherever else you get your books. So Guys Guys Radio, I'm so appreciative of just my health, my guests, my audience, and the fact that we have lots of great shows and great guests coming up on Guys Guys Radio. So thanks for being there. As I always like to say, Guys Guys finish first. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.